welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Welcome to part two of Enough is Enough. We are wrestling with the book of Hebrews, which is really just a, a long sermon, actually. And there's a lot of mystery around it. And, but there's really one central focus, and that is Jesus is enough. But within the text of Hebrews, there is a lot of difficult uh, passages. And, and today we're going to wrestle down one of those very difficult passages. Uh, it's Hebrews 6. But before we do that, I want to take you to uh, Dubai, all the way across the world in Dubai, uh, circa 2015. I was there uh, with several members of our church, and we had the opportunity to, to spread the gospel to the workers in Dubai and the people that were building Dubai, the people that were, that were discarded and, and put on the outskirts of the city and made to feel less than human in some respects. And we went to them and we took them a compassion kit, which had lots of toiletries and some basic essentials, a phone card even. And we had the opportunity to give them this, this very temporary gift, but to tell them the, the eternal uh, salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ. And for some of them, it was the very first time that they had heard the name of Jesus. And as we shared our testimonies and the stories from the gospel and ultimately the salvation message, many, many men stood up, raised their hand and said, I want that. I, I believe in that. And we led them through a, a prayer, a simple salvation prayer. Uh, we explained to them, you know, you, you need to understand that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, that you must admit that you're a sinner, that you must believe that he died on the cross and came back to life uh, all for you, that he gave himself a sacrifice, and that you must commit your life to him. We explained those things to them, and dozens and dozens of men uh, in every party would stand up and say, yes. I believe that. And they would pray the prayer. And it was so exciting. It was so, and, and you could tell the Spirit's power was all over that place. And the Spirit was moving in the hearts of these men. In some cases, before we even came into the room, they were work, the Spirit was working in their hearts because when we walked in there, it didn't matter the level of our gospel presentation, but they would just accept because there was a stirring in them. And so they would then get put into different house churches within their community by other people who were believers and who were committed. And they would start, learn the, start to learn the stories of the gospel and start to learn other stories within the Bible so that they might be able to become mature. And I don't know about you, but no one ever came from across the world and shared the gospel with me. That was done in just a a church house. In fact, when I was third grade, I listened to a message and the spirit moved inside of me to where I just couldn't say anything but yes, I want that. And I went to a little room and I talked to a lady and she, um, she led me through the Lord's prayer. And I remember thinking nothing magical happened. There was no shooting stars. There was just a draw on my heart to go and find out more about who Jesus is and give my life to him, right? A third grade life. After that, I, I wondered, similar to how I wondered about the men in Dubai, did that, did that take? Was that, the, was that it? Was that a once and for all deal? Was that, was that all there was to it? Or 
Was it possible that as I went through life and almost certainly pretty quickly started sinning again, was it possible for me to lose that which I had gained? And that is exactly what we're going to tackle today in the book of Hebrews verse, in chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there because we're going we're gonna to camp out there for quite a while and look through quite a few verses through, in Hebrews 6. But before we do that, I want to give you uh, today's big idea. The, the one thing that I want you to know, and we're going to really dig into this throughout the message, and that is to taste is temporary, but to take in is once and for always. To taste is temporary and to take in is once and for always. So let me give you a little bit of the background for the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. But these Hebrews were Christians. They had just come to know the Lord very relatively recently out of the Jewish faith. And so in the Jewish faith, they were comfortable. They had been schooled. They had been brought up. It's what they knew. And the writer knows this, and he knows as these people who were poor and constantly persecuted would would have a tendency to fall back into their, their old ways, because that's what we do when things get difficult. We revert back to what we know and what we're comfortable with instead of oftentimes pushing forward even when we know it's right. The writer in the book of Hebrews knew that was going to be the tendency for them. And so he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to give them all that they would need to stand up under that persecution. And so through the first five chapters, he is very, very diligent in teaching the basics of who Jesus is, what he came to do, the grace that he offered, and that it was apart from our works and apart from our good deeds and actually nothing within what we could do could could get us to Christ or help us to be good enough. Instead, it was simply Jesus. Jesus was enough. And by the time he gets to Hebrews 6, you can tell he, the writer, is a little bit, he's, he's, you know, he feels pretty good about the fact that he's taught them enough about the basics. And so he encouraged them in verses 1 through 3, so let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding now, if we jump back to verse 1, it says mature. He wants, you to, he wants us to mature. He wants the Hebrews to mature in their faith. What does it mean to mature? It means to fully develop, to reach the most advanced stage in a process. Right now, I'm watching my kids mature, and, and I'm watching them get to that, that final stage, that, that adult stage where I know that they have emotionally and physically gotten to the point where they are grown and they are mature. And these Hebrews needed to mature. They didn't need to constantly be reminded of their fundamental importance, of the fundamental things of Christianity. He says, we've gone over those before. It's time to move on. We've, you've, you've had enough milk. Now it's time to eat. It's time to 
truly take in and live out what Christ has done for you. See, these are the basics. And, and I imagine if he could have boiled it down, he would have boiled it down to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is not confusing at all. It is very simple, and it is so good. Look at it with me real quick. It's going to be on your screen. In verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That, that scripture sums it up so perfectly, so simply, and so wonderfully that I would encourage you, write that down. Write Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 down. If you don't already have that committed to memory, I would encourage you to do so because it is something that we should be reminding ourselves of daily that it's nothing that we do that we gain our salvation from, but solely on what Jesus did. So then, based on this, we've been saved through grace, by grace, through faith, not from ourselves. If we accept that, that Jesus is the only way to salvation, then how can we explain what is talked about in verses 4 through 7 of Hebrews 6? We're going to go through it. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to kind of take it bite by bite because there's, there's so much here. And I don't want you to miss something fundamentally important and be confused and leave here with any confusion. Verse 4, it says, so he's already told them we've got to move past the basics. We've got to mature. We've got to take in exactly who Jesus is, and we have to live out exactly what Jesus wants us to. Verse 4 says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who, who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. So how do we reconcile this passage? Because this sounds like, even though we know based on the first five chapters that Jesus is the only way and that nothing we can do can, can bring us salvation, but only through what he did, then how do we reconcile that if we do something, we might lose that? Let me explain it to you. I don't think that's what it's saying at all. I think it's saying you have an opportunity here. You, you were enlightened. You, you know about the gospel. You were inspired by the Holy Spirit, perhaps. You, you, have, you have seen what Jesus did, and you know with your mind, and maybe even you said it with your mouth, that you know what Jesus did. And then it goes on in verse 5, and it says, and you have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Again, the, the spirit was moving in you. The spirit drew you and, and, and was stirring inside of you to a point where you knew something was happening. But, verse six, it says, and then who turn away from God. So if you've enlightened and you've tasted, let's, let's think about that for a minute. You know what Jesus was all about, and you tasted it. What is tasting? Tasting is, it's just that. It is just to see. It's just a little glimpse of what it is before you. If you're sitting at the dinner table and you have a plate of food and you have something 
on that plate of food that you're not too sure about. Maybe you've never had it before. My kids do this all the time when we have vegetables usually. You take it and you maybe put it on your tongue or you you take a tiny little bite and you taste it to see what it's all about. But it's very different when you take it in and, and make it a part of you. See, he's saying if all you're doing is tasting the goodness after you've been enlightened, you are, you are susceptible to turn away because you haven't made it a part of you. It is not who you are. It is just on your tongue. The flavor is just on your tongue. And we know that, again, this is, this is difficult wording sometimes to, to, to truly understand because we know that we're not saved by our works we are saved to our works, right? If you listen to Pastor Milt's message last week, it was an incredible and very powerful illustration of that truth, that Christ has saved us to good works. The outpouring of, of once we have taken in Jesus is, is good works, but we are not saved by our good works. Conversely, we cannot lose our salvation because of our bad works. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. This right here is talking about not taking in that truth, but simply knowing it and either rejecting it or turning away before you have taken it in fully. And this is where it gets a little bit tricky for us because it, and for me, because you start stepping on toes a little bit here, but the truth is there have been many people that we know, you probably have somebody in your mind right now who knew the gospel of Jesus, who even maybe said it with their mouth, who, who even did some good things. Maybe they even served in the church in some capacity and then fell away. And you're thinking, did they lose their salvation? And I would say maybe they weren't ever saved truly. Because if you look at, the, if you look at the, one of the disciples of Jesus, right? We, we know of Judas, the betrayer. Uh, scripture calls him a devil. He followed Jesus. He spoke truth. He healed people in the name of Jesus. And yet, he fell away. Because he had only tasted the truth of who Jesus was. And was essentially a counterfeit Christian. And here, here's how we would know, right? So you got to keep going in that passage. If you get stuck in verses four through six, you end up, you're, you're stopping prematurely because there's so much good information beyond that. It says, grace is enough, right? In verse seven, when the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop for the farmer, it has God's blessing. But if a field bears thorns and thistles, it is useless, the farmer will soon condemn that field and burn it. We've seen, if, you're, if you've read the Gospels, you've seen the illustration of the fields before. You've seen the illustration of trees that bear fruit. If a tree doesn't bear fruit, it's useless and it's cut and it's pulled up. If a field doesn't produce crops, then it is burned. And we are those fields. When the ground soaks up the falling rain and bears a good crop... Those are the ones who have taken in because the fruits of that which we now have inside of us begin to, to come out and you can see it. There's evidence 
of it in our lives. But for those who have heard and felt the rain, but have no evidence of it in our lives, truly they have only tasted and turned away. See, Judas who heard the message and possibly even at some point repented and definitely with his words spoke what he knew needed to be said about who Jesus was, he didn't have any root. And for many people, we know they have repented with their mouths and they have said good things, but they had no root because they didn't believe and take it in fully. And it is possible to have a change of mind after you've heard and experienced the power of salvation. Again, I know plenty of people who have, who have taken in and gotten on fire and, and seemingly completely absorbed all that, the, that Jesus has to offer and, and is, uh, there was an outpouring, it seemed like, but then that flame was quickly extinguished and they turned and walk away. They only tasted, but they never fully took in. See, in order to fully take Jesus in, we must deny ourselves and come after him. And, and this is one of the greater tragedies of most people is that we, we don't get to that denying ourselves part. See, once the Holy Spirit persuades us and we move to a spot where we have been enlightened and we have tasted that which we understand about Jesus, we should be moved to deny ourself, our old ways, turn from that and walk anew as a Christ follower. And what's amazing and what brings to evidence how easy it is for many people to do the exact same thing is that Judas himself, one of Jesus' own disciples, fell into this. The inability to deny self, to turn from his old ways, and to truly follow Christ. And if Judas, someone who walked hand in hand with Jesus, can do it, we can fall victim to it very easily as well. And the writer of Hebrews knew this. He knew at this point his readers were probably getting a little discouraged because they're thinking, but I'm, I'm so young, I'm so new. And he says this in verse nine, dear friends, even though we are talking, about, talking this way, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for others, for caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going on to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. See, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Once we accept him, once we've been enlightened, we've tasted and we've taken in the truth of who Jesus is, he, God knows we're human. We make mistakes. We're going to sin. But the difference is, do you repent? Or do you fall victim of perpetual sin? One of the greatest tells of whether or not you truly 
are following Jesus and, and, and have accepted his gift of salvation is that you, when you do fall into a sin, you will repent and you will not stay perpetually within that sin. And he references it at the, in, the, in verse 12 here, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. That's a sneak peek of, verse, of chapter 11 where he talks about the pillars of our faith, right? He talks about Abraham and Moses and David and so on. And they are, they are the ones that we look to. It's, we call it God's hall of fame. They're the best of the best. But you look in their lives, they certainly weren't perfect. Abraham uh, committed an affair because he was impatient with God. Uh, Moses committed murder and ran from God and tried to give every excuse in the book as to why not to do what God was calling him to do. David, the, the man who was exclaimed to be a man after God's own heart, committed an affair and orchestrated a murder. These were not perfect men. The difference was when faced with their sin, they repented and turned. This is what we must do so as not to fall away. This is one of the great indicators of whether you have taken in the truth of who Jesus is. So the difference between a Christ follower and a counterfeit Christian is the way that we justify our sin. Take, for instance, a normal morning. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Your hair is a disheveled mess, if you have hair. And you, you're just not in a good mood to begin with. Maybe you didn't sleep well. So you come downstairs, and your wife is, is telling you to take out the trash. She's reminding you of something you forgot to do. Your kids are being loud and noisy. Maybe they, they break something right in front of you. And you just snap. And you, 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 you yell at your wife, you're disrespectful to her, you yell at your kids, you, you ground them, you, you're so furious at them, you tell them, why do you have to be that way? You turn and you kick the dog, and then you go to work. A counterfeit Christian will spend that entire drive to work justifying himself, justifying his actions, justifying why he did what he did. A Christ follower will get in that car having done the same things, because we're not perfect. He will get in that car and immediately feel the guilt and the shame of his actions. And before God, he will repent. He will, he will ask for forgiveness and then he will make a phone call to his wife begging her forgiveness. And when he gets home, he will contact, he will get in front of his kids and he will, he will ask them to forgive them and tell them he's so sorry for losing his temper and for, for, for being so cruel. And he might even pet the dog. See, when we take in Jesus, it changes us changes us completely. In John chapter 6, verses 47 through 58, we see what Jesus really is talking about when you, when you look at it through the lens of taking it in. And in fact, if you don't understand the concept of taking in truly 
who Jesus is and making it a part of you, then this passage can be very confusing. Uh, And in fact, I think most of the disciples, when he was teaching this, were very confused. A few minutes ago, you saw us uh, take the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Ed uh, told us that, you know, the bread represented the body of Christ to remember always as we took it. And the drink represented his blood spilt for us on the cross and to remember him each time we took it. That is a picture of us taking in Jesus Christ, a reminder of what we have done spiritually through a physical act. And we know that that is an important reminder that we constantly should be putting out in front of us because of what he said in John chapter 6, verses 47 through 58. And, and he, many times throughout that passage, I'm not going to read it. I'll let you read it if you want to at home afterwards. But in that passage, he says it all several times. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats this bread from heaven will never die. I am the living bread. Again, he starts talking about eating flesh and drinking his blood. And his disciples who didn't have 2,000 years of experience and study probably were like, hey, Jesus, you're talking about cannibalism. We didn't sign up for that. I thought this was a peaceful thing. And he probably just looked at him as he typically does and did the whole, really? And then said, listen, this is a spiritual act. This is a reminder to you to always replenish always to refill, to continue to take in the truth of who I am. I am the living bread. In verse 56, he goes on, he says, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. That is out of context, a very strange statement. But in 58, he says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. Jesus said, I am what you need to be filled fully, to be filled forever, to have the salvation that you so desperately need. He said, you need to take me in. Let it change you. As food nourishes and changes our body as we, as we live Jesus comes in and changes us once and for always. And this affects you wholly against anything. When you have completely changed and you have denied yourself and turned from your old ways and are now following Jesus, then you can handle the difficulties of life. You can handle a pandemic. You can handle persecution. You can handle what comes before you because of who is in you. Not because of anything in your own self or in your own strength. You will find that is a failing model. But because of who Jesus is, you can handle this. But we have to make the choice to take it in. When you've tasted it, will you take it in? So I want to take you back to Dubai as I wrap up. I want to take you back to Dubai and and to the beach of Dubai in the background of incredible buildings and and the pictures that that I have, I would love to share with you. There's the seven-star hotel, the Burj Arab, and the the tallest building in the world and, and this beautiful ocean. And we're on a white sandy beach with 
hundreds of men who have heard the gospel message, who have at one point raised their hand and said, yes, I believe, I have felt the spirit moving, I, I understand what you're saying, and I believe that Jesus is the one who offers salvation. These men, in the middle of games and fun and, and music and teaching, were given an opportunity. Here's one way that you can take your first step across the line, and it's to be baptized. And, and they're very clear. They, they say, listen, baptism is not what saves you. Jesus is what saves you. But baptism is that first great step to let everyone else know this, I've crossed the line. I have taken in Jesus, and I am willing to stand up for what I believe and deny myself and face the world as a follower of Christ doing and, and what he has called us to do. And of those hundreds of men, only three accepted the challenge to be baptized. Why? Well, for them, that meant persecution. That meant they might be disconnected from their family. It, might, it meant they might be killed for making that step of faith because in, in their culture, what they had turned from, what they said they had turned from, it was very harsh on the other side as far as persecution against the Christian faith to be a Christ follower. Three of those men were bold enough to stand up and walk into the water and be baptized to, to, to show that perfect symbol of, of dying with Christ in death and raising with him in new life. Only three. As hundreds of men watched on with just the taste in their mouth. And my prayer has been since then that those men would find the truth of who Jesus is as good for taking in so that they too might be able to follow in baptism, so that they might be able to truly take in what Jesus and who Jesus is. That's my challenge for you today. Have you taken in Jesus or are you simply just tasting what he has to offer because Hebrews 4 through 7 are very clear. The one sin that Jesus doesn't and can't, or God can't forgive is, is those who would blaspheme his name, those who would turn from him and deny him. Now, here's what I say. If you've walked away from the faith, if you maybe as a child or as a teenager, you accepted Jesus as Savior, and, and somewhere along the line, you have turned and you have started to look only at self, the great news is grace is still extended to you because you're still living. You still have an opportunity. See, Jesus' faith or Jesus' grace is sufficient for you because your salvation is not based on your works but on his. That is what gives you assurance. So you still have time. So my challenge for you today and this week is to move forward is to do this. Decide, are you taking in what Jesus has done? Does it consume you? Is it the, is it the filter for which you run every decision of your life? Or are you just tasting what you have come to understand and know about who he is? The second thing is this. I want to encourage you and I want to offer to you an opportunity to, to 
continue this conversation throughout the week through a devotional. Uh, I've got a link on the screen and in the, in the notes and on the YouVersion app for our notes, there's a link to join the devotional with me. It's a five-day devotional. It starts tomorrow. And it's titled, uh, Making Sure That You're Saved. And it's a catchy title, obviously. But, I mean, it's something that we all struggle with at some point or another. We start to, to question and wonder whether or not we're truly saved. And this, this devotional, I've looked through it. It is fantastic. It's powerful. And I would encourage you to click that link and join me starting tomorrow morning with this devotional. I think you will be glad you did. And then join in the conversation. At the end, after you've read the devotional and read the scriptures, there is a, there's a blank page where everyone can comment and in, keep the conversation going. If you have questions, ask the questions. If you have a concern, ask it. You, it's, it's a great forum for that. And I would encourage you right now, if you have questions, if, if you're thinking, I've heard of Jesus, I've heard, there's something inside of me is stirring, but I just haven't ever make, taken that step to take him in, then I would encourage you right now, we have pastors waiting in the chat. Hit that live prayer button. Hit that ask me button on our website and we will be in contact with you immediately to talk to you about what it truly means to take in who Jesus is and become a true Christ follower. To walk away from counterfeit Christian. See, once you've done that, you are saved once and for all. Because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus is enough. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for the hearts and the lives of those who have heard this message, God, that they, if they are simply tasting your goodness, I pray you would give them the boldness to take that step, to deny self, and to take in all that you have to offer. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is enough. And Father, I thank you for your word that is true and we can trust it. In Jesus' name, amen.